Welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and in this podcast, we ponder new the ancient stories of Scripture. These weeks, we've been looking at the stories of Abraham from the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, uh, and really Abraham's whole family. And the first week, things went really well. The second week, things got really rocky, and it didn't go at all. <laughs> it went badly. And, and this week, well, Abraham complains. And so maybe some of you are better than average at complaining. <laughs> uh, but whether you're a complainer or not, I think this podcast uh, will hopefully give us a chance to reflect on uh, how we pray to God, how we pray prayers of frustration to God, and what it means that we might have faith in God. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you and I think to myself Genesis 15 what a wonderful After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Do not be afraid Abram I am your shield your reward shall be very great But Abram said O Lord God what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. I grew up as a Philadelphia sports fan. And one of the things that being a Philadelphia sports fan teaches you is how to complain. It has been perfected as a Philadelphia sports fan. Um, there was a quote by one of the famous athletes from Philadelphia, whose name was Mike Schmidt, who said in Philadelphia, there's the thrill of victory and then the agony of reading about it in the paper the next day, right? Because no matter what you did, there would always be uh, a complaint. And in fact, one of the great things is that we have this whole developed system of sports radio where you can listen to other people complain uh, and sort of you know, sort of find schadenfreude and just a joy in knowing that you're part of this miserable pack of people. It's, it's really a strange phenomenon. But maybe it's not just isolated to Philadelphia Phillies fans. There's probably something about us as humans, um, particularly, say, in the ages of, I don't know, like 11 to 15, but where you're really good at complaining, right? You're really good at pointing out where there's inconsistencies, where there's um, hypocrisy, uh, and where just life just isn't fair. So uh, who in your life is especially good at complaining? In what situations do you find yourself a professional complainer? Um, and, and one of the things as a pastor that I, I have this opportunity then to listen to people complain, right? People are willy willing to share what's going on in their life. And part of being a good pastor and a good listener is non-judgmental listening, just trying to um, be open and, and ask questions to indicate that, again, I'm, 
I'm processing and, and also to empathize with the person. Um, but every now and then there, there is a sense of, of when I listen to somebody, it's like, oh, they're complaining, but they don't seem to be totally innocent in this. Or I could very easily see how this story would be told differently by somebody else. Um, and I'm curious if you have any strategies in life of how to help people see that when they're complaining, the, the story that they've woven in their mind that seems so airtight in their defense might actually have a few chinks in the armor. Yikes. But in this story, I bring up complaining because Abraham is complaining. And he's saying to God that God has not done what God was supposed to. Now, in the Bible, there's a specific word for complaining when you complain to God. And that's called lament or lamenting as a verb. And in fact, there's a whole group of psalms called the lament psalms the most famous of which might be Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It it begins, and those are the words, in fact, from Jesus on the cross. But there's plenty of lament psalms, and and many even uh, more praising psalms include at least some petitions of, of lament. And what differentiates a lament from a normal complaint is that a lament is a complaint with the added confession of God's sovereignty and power. So, like, you are supposed to be a God who's awesome, but the unjust and wicked are prevailing in my life and in this world. That is a theme again and again in the Psalms. And I think it's something that we readily know. Um, I think that we, we live right now in the age of an of uh, really from, I think, most of our perspectives, a really unjust, cruel, and savage war that's going on right now. And uh, I think it's easy for us to kind of lament that the world is not as it should be um, over and against the love and grace of God that we have in our confessions of faith. So this is what a lament is. A lament is a complaint that adds with it a confession of God's authority and power and love and really points at this this disconnect. And and that's what happens here. Because at first, again, it reads just like a a typical uh, Philadelphia Phillies fan where God says, hey, I'm going to be your shield and your reward, which is, which is especially poignant because in the right story before this in chapter 14, uh, Abraham turns down a reward in the spoils of battle because he just says, no, I don't want you to have a claim on me um, to this other person. And now here God comes along and promises a reward. And Abraham's response is like, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? Uh, and really gets to the core of the matter, which is that he doesn't have an heir. He hasn't had a son. And this goes back then to the original promise of God that he would make a great nation of Abraham. And how is he going to make a great nation if Abraham has no son? So this is, uh, again, a lament in its, its purest here, kind of saying, God, you just haven't done what you were supposed to. You haven't fulfilled your end of the bargain. Well, God hears this, and then um, 
God offers him a promise, reaffirms the declaration of what God will do, and then he goes out and he, he sort of visualizes it. And he says, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do for you. He has him look up to the stars. And you think about the sort of if you've ever been outside where there isn't a lot of urban traffic, um, you know, that's how bright the stars would have been, just glittering and glistening everywhere. And he says, that, that's how many your, your children will be. Which is in itself fascinating because that promise has come true through the heirs of, of Abraham, sort of the spiritual descendants of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. There definitely have been um, sort of countless adherents, uh, countless people who are spiritual children of, of Abraham. But what's uh, going on here is that this, um, what, what I want to just point out is that last time we heard about Abraham, again, when the, the road got rough, he pulled away from God in prayer. And this time, um, he, he goes to God in prayer. And the prayer is, again, a prayer of sort of frustration and, and again, lament. But this, this prayer actually um, moves the Lord. And then it finally is going to move Abraham to a deeper place of having his faith renewed. So I want this to be an encouragement for you that the Bible just doesn't have written prayers of lament. It shows that when people do lament, this often not only moves God, but moves them to a different point. And I'm curious in your life, what is your experience praying these prayers of lament in times of trial? Do you feel comfortable with prayers of lament, of, of saying to God, this hasn't worked out the way that it should have? And how have those prayers changed your understanding of, of who God is and um, how God works in your life, and have your, has your faith been renewed, strangely enough, um, through prayers of lament. Of all the parts of the Abraham story, Genesis 15.6 is probably the one that has received the most ink, shall we say, uh, and that is because it has um, been bitterly divided about how people understand the relationship between faith and righteousness. The, the, the narrator tells us that Abraham believed or had trust, had faith in the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him, reckoned it to him as righteousness. And so it establishes this link between faith and righteousness that's going to be picked up by uh, the writer and apostle, and uh, some of you could almost call prophet, uh, St. Paul. And uh, then his position on it will actually be countered by another colossal figure in the early church, St. James. And uh, the church will kind of wrestle with this, never kind of fully sorting it out, but kind of arriving at a point. And then Martin Luther will come along in the 1500s and really uplift a sort of a Pauline version of it, and uh, so for the last 500 years, again, so much ink has been spilled over this role between, in this relationship between uh, faith and, and righteousness. And although that's interesting, what I actually want to, um, I don't want to get to the link today between them. I actually just want to reflect with you on what the word faith means. Uh, this is the first time in the Bible that uh, a person, a human, has, has, had, has been described as having faith. And so I, I'm wondering, what does it mean 
for somebody to have faith? What does it mean for you to have faith? What do you mean when you're saying, I believe in God or I believe in Jesus Christ? And I'd like to offer that there's probably at least three different ways of of understanding what that word faith means. And the first I want to talk about is maybe what we, and I probably could have looked up the fancy Latin term, but there is a term for what we might call head faith. And that is where um, sort of that faith becomes a matter of agreeing to certain uh, statements, uh, what we might formally call propositions. So for instance, if I say, I believe that it's going to rain, this means that there's probably like an 85% chance it's going to rain. I'm, I'm pretty confident that it's going to happen, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. And then in this case, if we say something like that, I believe it's going to rain, um, or now in the case of I believe in God, it's just a matter of what percentage in our mind sort of constitutes um, enough confidence that we can say believing and still say it with integrity. And th- there is a certain way in, in which there needs to be a mind component to our faith. Um, and, and that's because we, we want to make certain claims about God. So if I say I believe in God and you say you believe in God, what, what do you actually mean by that? Um, and for us, then, this is where you get sort of the creed. And the creed sort of lays out some sort of parameters to kind of say, okay, like, there's some things we don't understand about God, but, but this stuff we want to agree on. So when I say I believe in God, I mean the God who created the heavens and the earth. I mean the God who, uh, in Jesus Christ, uh, died and rose. So, so there is something to be said for, for some sort of propositional or statement-based sort of confessions of faith, because again, they can help us understand the God that we're talking about. However, um, that's, that's not really the fullness of the biblical understandings of, of the words. Um, the words in the Bible mean something else, and we're going to, at least in the original languages, get to that. And also it turns out that the, you know, the devil can, can know that God exists, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that uh, the devil is doing what God wants to. So, so in fact, there, there are beings, uh, there are spiritual beings um, who, who are even more certain of the existence of God than we are, uh, but they do not necessarily align their actions with with God. So there's a, a limit to sort of an, an intellectual or simply an understanding or a propositional sense in, in that it it's, can be dead faith in, in that it just, I agree to certain statements, but they don't necessarily change how I live. And so there's the other one we might call sort of a more a more body sense of faith. And and that is that faith is um, that which actually inspires your actions. Uh, so, um, you know, as James sort of offers, you know, you know, you want to show me your faith, I'll show you my works. And by so doing, I'll show you what I believe. Um, it doesn't matter if on Sunday mornings you talk about peace and love and then throughout the week you uh, do nothing of this sort. So a faith should be the sort of the animating principle that that guides us um, in a way of living that hopefully is formed by love. So in this case, um, again, faith just is sort of the embodiment of um, really where our will is, where how we move our body, um, yeah, what we do. Um, so the sort of the alignment of our actions 
uh, is really where faith is, is located then. So my faith means serving the poor, for example. Um, but there's a, there's a sort of a, a challenge here in that um, part of our challenge is, is that we don't, well, we can't always do what we, we want to do or, or hope or profess that we should do. Um, at, at the core of the Christian mystery is the, is the hardness of the human heart and the sinfulness that is always with us. And so if my faith um, is, is that which motivates me, that can be a slippery slope into sort of saying that I really have faith in myself and, and my own capacity for for action. And so the, the Protestant Reformation especially, and, and Luther is one of the reformers, sort of really uh, emphasize faith as, as an act of trust. And, and then linguistically, that is really what's, what's going on. I mean, you think about the word uh, creed. Creed is um, like credit, it's about trust. So I believe in, in, in the ancient creeds of the church. I, I trust. I, I credit to God. Um, and the same we could argue linguistically is going on uh, in Greek as well with pistio. Uh, the verb there that's often translated as, as believe. And, and so in this way, the actual faith is, is that which says to God, I, I reject uh, any notions that I can stand on my own two feet before you, but wholly lean on your name, on your righteousness, O Lord, on your forgiveness. So in this sense, it's sort of, in some ways, kind of the, the it can be pushed to the opposite. It's not about what I do, but it's about fully what Jesus has done for me and my trust that that, that is sufficient for me before God. The word faith can, can mean many things, um, and it just is maybe worth reflecting for you what of these three definitions or understandings, more of a, a head, more of sort of a body, more of a heart, makes the most sense or, or resonates with you. Now that we've reflected on those different types of faith, let's think about the story of Abraham here and what kind of faith is being nurtured, is being called forth from, uh, and is being revealed by Abraham. Well, on the one hand, uh, the, there is, unfortunately, uh, a lot of ink spilled over uh, what, what faith here in this particular verse means. And in fact, even in the New Testament itself, there's a debate, really, that um, on one hand, you have Paul uh, sort of interpreting this, especially in the letter of Galatians, and also in, in, in Romans. Um, and you have, on the other hand, you have James who looks at this uh, story of Abraham in a very different way in regards to his faith. Uh, I would say that uh, in some ways Abraham reveals here um, sort of an intellectual dimension to his faith. Abraham doesn't have thousands of years of data on who God is. Sort of his tribal deity is just calling him forth. And I don't think he has yet realized the awesome power of God as the ruler over heaven and earth yet. He's still trying to figure out exactly what are the, what are the limits, what is the power of, of this God um, whom has called him. And then there's also something in terms of how he's going to live, like what actions is he going to do, or how is he going to move forward in his life. It's a very bodily thing. The literal, uh, the, the literal Hebrew here is, there will be one out of your belly who will come forth. 
but it, it, it is certainly also one of, of really of the heart of, of where does where does Abraham trust? And I think it's not fair to fit this story into a sort of a paradigm um, or maybe a character of the Protestant understanding of faith that it's this recognition that we're sinners. Because I don't think at this point Abraham is is so much sort of in some confession and contrition, um, but he is going to need to learn to trust to trust God. My sense is that uh, wholesome spirituality, um, really a, a rich in, uh, faith, probably encompasses all of, of these aspects of, of faith. And while, again, I want to emphasize here the, the trust aspect, I think you can make a case the way in which Abraham in this story and, and moving ahead is, is really going to have to sort of deal with all three biggest point is not just that all three are required in life or sort of really nurtured by God, um, but, uh, but th- that at all points our faith needs uh, to, be, to be nurtured. And this is the, what God is doing in the Holy Spirit through the Word in this passage as it, God comes to him and strengthens his faith. And uh, may this study today and your other studies of the Word um, allow you to hear the promise uh, that God indeed is your shield and that God intends for a reward and a blessing for you as well.